podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the Church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work at pcaac.org. This is Gifts and Graces. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear from Ray Cortese, Bruce O'Neill, and Jason Dorsey on Presbytery Renewal. This was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2014 General Assembly. Let's listen as Ray, Bruce, and Jason share how to nurture your presbytery. All right, good morning. Welcome to the seminar on on Transforming Presbytery, Changing Presbytery, uh, Life and um, culture, uh, you have a three-headed uh, leadership um, team. Bruce O'Neill, Jason Dorsey, uh, and I are going to uh, um, lead this and hopefully uh, um, give, give you some hope and uh, some, um, some ideas and then allow for some Q&A um, at the end of our hour. Um, let, let me pray as we start. <clears throat> Lord, I, I just... Uh, think back going into last night's worship service and having to confess that um, it hadn't even really crossed my mind in preparing that you might want to use um, the worship at GA to actually um, influence um, lives and people and do something that matters. Uh, My faith is so uh, small and my cynicism can be so great um, that very often I completely forget who I'm dealing with. Um, and completely forget your love for the church and, uh, and the way that you love to wade into messes and make things new. And if we don't experience that, then, um, then, then certainly we're not going to preach and teach that and, uh, and, we're, and we're not going to um, give the folks in our, our church and communities the hope that, that very broken families and very broken lives and very broken systems in our community can actually be transformed. Um, so... Lord, um, we want to watch you do this. We want to watch you make presbyteries come alive as, um, as places that give healing and hope and encouragement um, and, and make the work of the church um, um, more, more fruitful and delightful. Um, uh, so uh, we pray that uh, this would be helpful to that end. Uh, Lord Jesus, we ask in your name. Amen. Um, uh, as I said last night, if you happen to make the worship service, um, everybody's drawn to, to beauty. And uh, part of what we want to think about this morning is, is making the PCA uh, and uh, the place where we've chosen to worship and, and lock arms uh, a more beautiful um, place. You know, I, I think of so often we think of the PCA sort of globally or, or nationally, uh, sometimes we're not wildly encouraged. Um, um, you know, last week it just struck me that that uh, one of my children, who is um, church planting in uh, in Orlando, in the most blighted um, neighborhood in Orlando, drug gangs, um, um, crime. You know, the, I remember recently going to their house and saying, um, it you know it doesn't seem as bad in the neighborhood as you thought it would be when you moved here. Um, you know, the first 12 days they lived in the neighborhood, there were 12 robberies. A robbery a day for the first 12 days and then they said we'll hop in the car or let's take a walk and four houses down they showed me where the police had just blown out all the windows in a huge you know meth raid and then they said well are we let's go four more houses down and there was another one and that was like two nights before <laughs> so au contraire dad um, so um, my son-in-law just ordained in the PCA, was taking 13 boys from that neighborhood, teenage boys, to Canucks, kids across America, 
I mean, he didn't get any sleep the night before because he's hustling around the neighborhood getting their probation officers to sign off that the kids can go, trying to track down moms to sign the permission slip so they can get them in the... At the same time, um, um, he was traveling in a van with these... I mean, getting these kids on, making sure they didn't have any weapons, um, discovering in the first hour or two that they'd packed a lot of condoms for their trip to, uh, to the Christian camp. Um, and um, at the same time as doing that, my daughter who lives in Texas was with um, 12 girls uh, who were high school girls who had already had babies in high school and their babies, and they were on their way to a Young Life um, camp that she was taking them um, to. So, it, and they were both going the same morning, the same Sunday morning. I remember getting out of my car at church and realizing that was uh, happening right then. And, um, and in a sense, I want to say that's, that's the PCA that, that is out there. It's out there on a local level, and church after church after church, people are wading into the, the brokenness of their communities, and they're engaging the most broken people, and they're bringing the love of Jesus uh, to them. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a beautiful thing on the local church level. Sometimes on the general assembly level, we don't ever hear the stories of... of uh, of, of that taking place, and sometimes on the presbytery level, we have very discouraging um, situations as well. Um, we want the PCA to be known for its beauty and grace and charity and uh, and humility. Um, you know, the PCA may be doing fine, but but who wants to spend their life working on something that's fine? Um, uh, everybody wants to be a part of something that's going somewhere. That's uh, that's that's making a difference, that's missional, that's impactful, that, I mean, on a, on a, I'm, that's the comfort we get, that if we're going to lay down our lives for the kingdom of God, we ultimately know that all things will be made new. Our little contribution, our little place, is a part of something much bigger. Well, it's the same in a denomination. I mean, if we're going to sell out for this thing, um, we want to know that uh, collectively um, we're, uh, we're going somewhere. And our, and our comfort and encouragement has to always be, as I prayed, that Jesus is way more committed to this project than we are. Um, that, uh, that he says uh, that his church, he's going to wash her, and uh, he's going to make his bride um, new, and uh, um, without spot or blemish. Um, and again, um, in, the, in the weekly grind, sometimes uh, we struggle to see that. Uh, but he's, he is up to it. PCA, presbytery change is strategic for PCA health and for PCA beauty. Very challenging, the idea that we can change the PCA, some, you know, change the world, change our little part of the Church of Christ. Um, uh, it can be very challenging to think we can change our session or change the ethos of our local church. But... Um, Perhaps Presbytery um, seems more doable. We definitely think it's far more strategic um, to target. There are Presbyteries that are very unhealthy, very toxic, very resistant to change. Um, I would say there are probably few that that's the case. I'd say there are Presbyteries that are toxic and unhealthy but are completely open to change, and that's probably more. Uh, in, in other words, um, there are presbyteries that are desperate for leadership, for, uh, w- would love for anybody to care enough to actually wade in uh, and invest in the life uh, of the presbytery. So what I want to say is a couple things that are maybe not so beautiful about the PCA. What's the culture we long to create and, ha- and, uh, um, and, and what presbytery might have to do with that? And I'm going to give it to these guys to... Um, um, to give you the nuts and bolts about actual change in their um, presbyteries. So, so rather quickly, what's so not so beautiful about the PCA? A lack of cohesive missional vision. When I talk to young guys, they say, why am I even on this ship? There is no compelling reason to stay in the PCA. Our presbyteries lost three um, um, guys to the Anglican church in the last year. It's a significant drain of talent. Um, in the PCA, particularly seen not often in PCA people leaving, but in people who don't ever enter the PCA, young guys, who would have normally been the talent pool that we would be drawing from, 
but now, as you guys know, are choosing Acts 29 and Anglican networks and other, and, and other things. Uh, and part of the reason is we, we don't, um, we don't, we're not going to get on the ship unless we know the ship's going. We're not going to get on the ship unless we know who's steering the ship. Um, and the PCA doesn't appear to have anyone steering it, and it doesn't appear to have any direction that it's headed in. Um, so this lack of cohesive missional vision, the, it's a culture of caustic criticism, the incessant suspicion of doctrinal deviation um, that uh, is deeply discouraging, and the conviction that it is uh, unhealthy for men and families to be in church leadership in the PCA among young people. Well, why would I choose to do this to my family? I, you know, I don't, I'm not secure enough in my own walk with Jesus that, that if I don't find a supportive community to be a part of, I'm not going to make it myself, um, let alone subject my wife and, and, uh, and children um, to this kind of in, environment. Um, you know, we hired a, uh, a worship pastor in our church uh, you know, our church is kind of out of the way, um, is an understatement if you've been there. And uh, uh, one of the ways we get very talented people to come there, because very few people grow up dreaming of living where I live. And uh, one of the ways we get people to come there is they've been so deeply wounded in other places they need to be healed. And, uh, and believe me, there is a huge pool to draw from. Isn't that sad? Is a huge pool, and the, and these are the most talented, sweet, um, gifted people. We hired a worship guy from from a, a PCA church, and he said within three weeks of being hired, uh, elders began circulating a petition for relief from blended worship, um, and uh, and and just I mean right away the opposition, and and it start struck something in me because we we actually hired another music guy to help him. And this guy's one of the most talented worship leaders I've ever experienced in my life. He does conferences all over the United States for, for um, uh, camps and conferences and cuts um, uh, CDs of his music. Very gifted worship leader. And uh, he came to me one time. He said, I can't believe what people say to me. He's talking about our church now. After church, he said, guys come up to me. You know, he's like a lot of worship guys. You know, they lead worship. They're really into it. Their faces all. And he said, Somebody came up to me after church and said, you look like you need to use the bathroom. It's so, dis- it's so distracting the way you lead music. And, and, and that, was a, that was a red line for us. I mean, I stood up the next Sunday and said, we are not going to have this crap in this church. We're hiring young people and we're putting them on this stage. And, uh, and you know what? You don't ever hire anybody who's young who's particularly good at what they do. But when they leave here, they're going to be better at what they do because we cheer for them. And, we've, um, and so creating that climate of, uh, of, of support in the local church and then in the presbytery is so important. A discouraged clergy, um, tired, ineffective, alone, isolated, disconnected from the PCA. I think you guys know the majority of guys, uh, pastors in the PCA don't ever come to General Assembly. They can't afford it. They, a lot of my friends in our presbytery are never here. Um, there's no one to pay for it. Um, we have an increasingly number of guys who are bivocational. Since the recession, um, their churches cannot pay for them. The number of PCA clergy that have second and third jobs, um, they're under-resourced. They can dream dreams about what they want their churches to be, but uh, they, can't, they can't even get paid themselves. Um, there's no bishops, there's no mentors. Um, they're just alone. They're not on a church staff. They don't have comrades they're doing ministry with on a daily basis. Some of us enjoy. Um, very discouraged clergy. And we have a lack of a defined organizational leadership. As you know, the PCA is structurally, constitutionally opposed um, to, um, to cohesive national leadership. Our original um, committees were forbidden to be um, established themselves in the same cities lest they work together. Um, that was to prevent their working together. Um, so, you know what struck me? I, I've been in the PCA for 31 years but uh, as a pastor, but all my life, all, all the existence of the PCA, to my knowledge, there's never been a national meeting of pastors in the PCA. 
There has never been a national meeting of the pastors in the PCA. That is insane. What, what sales organization, what corporation would never call all their salesmen together? They do it every year, right? And, and they build them up. They encourage them. And um, when the guys from Acts 29 say, every year we all get together, it's all paid for. We bring our wives. We hear great preaching. We get encouraged. We cheer for each other. We go out to eat. We have a ball. Uh, love being in this network. There's so much support. What happens inside? I think, what are we thinking? We've never pulled all the pastors in the PCA together. And if you think that's what GA is, that's not what GA is. It's not even intended to be that, is it? Um, never. We've never had a meeting of all the pastors in the, in the PCA. Um, so what's the church culture we long to create? Um, uh, listen, it's a culture of, of uh, freedom to embrace change without fear. We're sliding down the slippery slope of liberalism. Fear is the PCA's besetting sin. Um, so freedom to create leadership structures, uh, or when people take leadership, to, to get in behind them and support them. Um, uh, another thing that the culture we long to create is a culture of repentant leadership and honesty in our churches that's presently um, um, lacking. Um, Someone told me recently there a young person in kind of these big churches in the South, these big, you know, first kind of churches in the South, and they said, I can sit in my church. They said, I, I can sit in my church for a whole year after church meetings and everything and never have a significant spiritual conversation with anyone. They said, on, on, when, when, I, when I'm on the college campus every day in a bar, um, having a cup of coffee after class, uh, after class, within a couple minutes, I can have uh, spiritual conversations with unbelievers and people all over campus who are telling me their life stories, who are, who are essentially telling me their deep need for Jesus. Why aren't those happening in our churches? Um, this, uh, this culture of repentant um, leadership. Um, one um, one. PCA pastor of a very large southern church called me this year and he said, I am so hungry for authenticity. I am so hungry. Everybody in my church is in the club. Everybody in my church drives beautiful cars. Everybody in my church is wealthy. This is a church of over 2,000 people. Everybody in my church, um, uh, he said, but I'm broken and I know I'm broken. But there's no culture to allow me to talk about that. He said, I am so lonely here. So a culture of repentant leadership that would be transformative. Freedom to be, un here's another one. Uh, what's the culture we long to create? A freedom to be unafraid of sinners, to wade into the messiness of broken lives because we know Jesus loved to eat with tax gatherers and sinners. Jesus' guest list at the party is always completely different than ours. I remember walking out of church one um, Saturday night. We have Saturday night church recently. And I looked over, and um, there's this woman who comes to our church. She annoys the heck out of me. She's, um, she's whiny and complainy. She got divorced, and she just drains the life out of you. So if you see her coming, you just think, you know, grab a baby, get something, you know. And um, she's got two boys. They're highly effeminate. Um, they sit there and do some kind of Game Boy system all during church. We have poured... Anyway... I'm walking out of church. I have disdain for this woman, and, and um, I see um, one of our staff members, just um, one of the church members, just listening to her, caring about her, put a hand on her shoulder, start to pray for her. I look over on the other side of our uh, narthex, and there's a, this lesbian woman is coming. She got real mad at me. She threw a big snitch. She left the left. Now she's coming again. Now she's decided I'm wonderful. And uh, she comes up to me every week. She has a deep southern accent. She says, Ray, Ray, I love you. And she wants to hug me. And, and I just can't stand that. I mean, there's a reason I'm in the PCA. And, um, <laughs> and I look over, and there's a woman in our church just so engaged with her. Um, I walk out the front door, and, and there's a bench outside. There's a, about a 10-year-old boy who was uh, ritually raped by, um, um, serially raped by his older brother. Um, you know, a, a horrific um, 
home life. His father's gone, probably headed to the penitentiary, and um, and there's and 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 the kids is weird, and and there's a lady in our church with her arm around him, just loving, and and I watch all this because I realize that that I struggle to have a heart for all these people, and, and to love them and connect them and to make our church welcoming to them, but I I look at the people in our church and they're doing it in such beautiful. Um, ways this freedom um, and freedom to be eaten up with a mission is another thing we want in the PCA to not waste our ammo fragging each other to become wild cheerleaders for each other um, how many pastors desperately need somebody to just cheer for them um, so to be so about the mission that our inconsequential differences don't matter I was just in Japan when the tsunami hit Japan you didn't stop and ask, are you a Mennonite? I don't know if we're going to work with you. You know, Are you Baptist? Are you Seventh-day Adventist? Whatever. It didn't matter, did it? Um, everybody pitched in together because people were um, in desperate straits. Well, guess what? The people in our neighborhoods and communities are in desperate straits. The tsunami has hit. And sitting around in, in small little um, um, uh, uh, groups, splitting hairs on doctrine is not pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a mission to be accomplished and to be eaten up with the mission um, together. So, um, you, you know, I, I love the priest in Les Mis who says to Jean Valjean when he's all um, beat up, come in, sir, for you are weary and the night is cold out there. There's wine here to revive you and bread here to make you strong. Don't we want to create communities where that's the case? Come in. Come into the weary and wounded. There's, there's the bread and wine. There's the body and blood. There's Jesus here uh, to revive you. So how do we create that? See, that's the big picture. Now we're coming down to presbytery. The answer is we model it in our presbyteries. People have no conception of what I've just been talking about if they've never experienced it. They have to experience it. They have to see it. And taste it. When we went to start a Christian school, nobody in our community had ever been in a church that, um, that had one. Nobody had a positive perception of one. So we had to find one, put people on a bus, take them there, have them spend the day, and then when we came back, every one of them put their kids in to start to be the initial families. Every single one of them that we took. Because they, they, they went literally in one day from inability to see it, believe it, comprehend it, um, to, uh, to, to signing on board. There's a fellow in the PCA named Mike Kanjan. And Mike Kanjan's a pastor in uh, Baltimore. And Mike has a vision for a beautiful PCA. And he has a, uh, uh, two years ago, he just gathered a couple people to talk about it. And, uh, and 30 people had a dinner together. So last year, uh, he took a free night at GA and invited um, some more people to talk about it. And 140 people showed up. And uh, so he did it this year in a night where originally there was no worship at the PCA. And uh, over 300 um, people are, are going to show up tonight. Nobody's elected Mike. And, and nobody's appointed him. He's, he's, not, he's just taken leadership. He's just um, said, let's... Um, and, and, what is, and what's he doing? In a sense, he's modeling what, what, what a healthy church looks like. A healthy church is where you have parties all the time. A healthy church is where you celebrate Jesus and what he's doing. And where you get together and you eat together and you laugh together. We do that in our churches, right? Week by week by week. Um, you know, it's, it's a baptism. It's a wedding. Even funerals uh, end up being great rejoicing. Um, new members come in. Um, we, we come uh, and gather around the Lord's Supper and we're just celebrating, celebrating, celebrating this Jesus who enters our brokenness and, uh, and cares about us and gives us bread of life for our neighbors and our um, communities. So um, many of us became convinced that um, going to presbytery um, needs to be more like going to a local church than like going to a GA. Um, that presbytery needs to have these kind of values, this kind of life, this kind of community. It's a place where you don't want to miss because God is there and because your friends are there and because you're desperate uh, for Jesus um, um, there. So 
In Central Florida, we wanted to make Presbytery a place that you, if you had a non-Christian friend and you wanted them to meet Jesus, you could bring them to Presbytery. Just like you'd bring them to church. Um, so our presbytery was poorly attended, shoddily led, worship was perfunctory, business went on till 5.30 or 6. It was a waste of a day, highly ineffective, and, uh, and we changed um, the way we do it. Um, and I'll just tell you, now we worship together, we learn together, we laugh together, we connect. We, um, uh, our business takes very little time. Um, we collaborate missionally, um, starting more churches than ever. In, in Lily White, Central Florida Presbytery, we have a Chinese church um, that's just joined us. We have a, a um, Korean church that's being started. We have a black pastor who's starting uh, a multi-ethnic church. We have a white couple who have just moved into this very blighted neighborhood. My son-in-law I'm just talking about um, in the community, a, a black and Hispanic neighborhood. We have a Hispanic ministry started. This is all within the last year or so. And Lily White, never doing anything in 30 years. Um, so, this is sweet. Um, every Presbyterian meeting is essentially a clinic on what the ethos of the local church and the nat national church should be. Every Presbyterian meeting is, come and see. And we're going to show every guy who walks in that room, this is what um, the PCA could look like. And this is what your local church could look like. And, and we're going to taste it and do it together today. So, Jason, you're... Uh... Oh, I'm sorry. All right. Jason Dorsey, Redeemer Presbyterian Church. Indianapolis. Um, the sort of the main theme I want to share with you is how I went from passivity in Presbytery to engagement. Um, but a little bit of details. Central Indiana Presbytery came out of the Great Lakes Presbyteries probably sometime be before 2002. Ohio Valley became Central Indiana Presbytery in 2010. So that's a little uh, detail there. Um, when I moved to Indy in 2002, there was a group of guys that prayed every month. And that has really been the, sort of the heart of what became Central Indiana Presbytery. So we just came together, prayed uh, for each other, for our struggles, for our lives. But I think what that did was it began to build trust. And, you know, you, you've got to have trust to work together. But my story uh, is our church had uh, decided in like 2005 that we were going to appoint men and women and call them deacons. And so this got us in a little bit of trouble. You, you might remember a few years ago that was, uh, that was there was some uh, discussion about that. Well, I think it was around 2008 in the Ohio Valley Presbytery. Here I am, a young guy, 38 years old or so, just trying to grow my church, really passive towards Presbytery. I'm like, you know, this is, I inherited this. This is not my world, but I'll, you know, I'll come and I'll function, but I don't, don't really care that much. And it's, not, it's certainly not something I'd you know, bring my uh, neighbors to or, you know, even my elders don't really want them to come either. And uh, um, so all of a sudden we show up at a Presbytery meeting and it's being brought to the attention of the Presbytery. This is the practice at Redeemer. And here we are, you know, a bunch of young 30, young 40-somethings, and we joke about it now, like we were a T-Rex with little arms, and uh, a few guys in Presbytery just came out with their, you know, machine guns, and we're like, <laughs> and uh, they just let us have it, and we're like saying, well, we, we took time to study scripture, and we have convictions here, and let's, let's talk about this, and it felt like we were all of a sudden in a really hardcore court situation where all of the 
You know, any brotherhood, any camaraderie was just gone. And that was a wake-up call for me because our church eventually said, okay, we do have biblical convictions here, but we also have convictions about our vows and about our commitment to the brothers. So we changed our practice in that area. And that there was significant you know, shepherding and, and uh, a challenge in doing that for the congregation, but we had that commitment to, to our vows. So, but in that process... I said to myself, I am ne- I'm never going to be passive again towards Presbytery because this is not the kind of community and the kind of way we need to be relating to each other. And so out of that, um, it was interesting because out of that, we were now in the beginning of, of talking about birthing a Presbytery. And um, I was put on the steering committee and so this is a very um, great opportunity for me to be engaged at helping talk about the, the gospel and, the, and the, uh, the culture of the Presbytery. And what came out of that, I think, is a beautiful thing, as Ray's using that language. So my, my engagement was from complete passivity to saying, I am going to fall on the sword for the culture of our Presbytery. And let me just share with you some of the things that I think are encouraging uh, facts. So we have a mission statement. We really do have a mission statement, and we are organized around that mission statement. We exist as a regional church, and we really do believe that we're, first of all, and most importantly, a church. We exist as a regional church to extend God's kingdom by strengthening existing churches. That's the team I chair, the Church Vitality team. Strengthening existing churches. Uh, planting new churches, that's our church planting and outreach team. Developing leaders, that's our leadership development team. And caring for our shepherds. So our teams, we call them teams, not committees, are organized around the mission. Uh, we have a five-year vision, and we're coming to the end of that. We're looking at engaging in another five-year visioning process. Now, here's what's so crazy. Um, our church is going through a, a capital campaign where we're hoping to balance uh, the work on the facility with um, giving to church planting. So we're hoping to take $3 million, 1.5 go to church planting, 1.5 go to... Um, the facility, hospitality, and accessibility. What's really amazing is we're dreaming of leveraging $500,000 to our presbytery to say, if we come to the table with this, will you bring people to join us and see if we can match this so we can have a million-dollar war chest? That's a pretty big... To go from the T-Rex where you're walking into the fray, I have no idea what you're doing to engagement. You can see engagement at the Presbytery level. You can see that there's a significant amount of trust. We've worked through things, and the Presbytery is healthy. Um, we have 11 particular churches, three site congregations, one mission, two RUFs. When I left Ohio Valley Presbytery, the, the giving of the churches in southwest Ohio part of Kentucky and central Indiana was about $56,000. Just with these churches uh, in central Indiana, our giving is over $91,000. So we do have a lot of room to grow. One of our weaknesses, we're not multi-ethnic yet. So what, you know, what characterizes us? What would we um, say is the ethos? Well, it's the gospel. And the gospel really is something that we will fight and die for. And I, I... I think at some point you just have to lay a stake in the ground and say either I'm not going to care, I'm going to be passive towards Presbytery, or it is worth me falling on the sword for the gospel. And I would say I will fight and die for this. (laughs) I will absolutely not give ground in this area. We also have the language of being a band of brothers. Um, We sit in a circle, so we have to look at the people we're talking to 
And literally, there will be times where the chairs are set up like this. Before the meeting, I will walk around and put them in a circle because the, the way you interact and the way that simple things like that are very important. Um, we have a monthly pastoral prayer meeting, and you can read more about the, uh, what we do there, but we have a really significant time where we shepherd each other, and, um, and that's you know a great part of what makes us uh, healthy and, and builds trust. We have a dinner with our pastors and wives after Presbytery. We actually go out for dinner and laugh and cry together and talk and, and minister. My wife, Jenny, raise your hand. Um, she is engaged with Pericleo in our Presbytery, and we'll have 20 uh, plus women at our Presbytery gatherings, and they have a time of ministry to the teaching elder wives, church planner wives, and ruling elder wives. So what's amazing is to see almost as many women. Now, it's, it's growing, uh, but I would imagine in a couple of years we'll have as many women coming to Presbytery as men just because of the impact and the care that they're getting. We do have a big vision and a strategic plan. Our dream is to be a, a church planning ecosystem. That's why we need a million dollars, because we, we really do have a, a big vision for what we think God is calling us to do. We're in the process, in fact, next week we're going to vote on bringing on a director of leadership development who will be basically working with LAMP and other non-traditional seminary options to help raise up indigenous leaders, guys that can't go off to a brick-and-mortar seminary. And this is a guy that um, has his doctorate in non-traditional seminaries. He's going to, we think he's really going to help catalyze um, multicultural leaders and we're looking forward uh, to, to that. Um, we had four or five church planning interns this last year. So anyway, just to give you a little picture, at the, for me, the big story was going from, man, I'm just trying to run my church and figure this out. I inherited this presbytery. It's not my problem. To going from that to say, I, this is my, I am responsible for this. I'm a member of this presbytery, and I'm going to engage. Guys, my name is uh, Bruce O'Neill, and I'm the pastor of Annapolis Evangelical Presbyterian Church which is in Annapolis, Maryland. Um, we affectionately call it EP because the name is too long and too hard to pronounce. And that's the people who worship there, much less people in the town. Um, I've been in this presbytery for about eight years. Uh, Chesapeake Presbytery was part of Potomac Presbytery before that, and before that it was part of Delmarva uh, Presbytery. So uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's an older presbytery within not Chesapeake, but it comes from an older uh, presbytery. But it's like, this is my fourth presbytery. It's like all the other ones I've ever been in. It's a good presbytery. It's not a bad presbytery. A fine group of people. Most of the people in our presbytery have known each other for years. Um, there, there are certainly new people always coming in and out of the presbytery. It's 33 churches. Uh, we're very uh, urban and suburban. Uh, we only have two cities in our presbytery, Annapolis and Baltimore. Uh, you can literally drive uh, from one end of our presbytery to another an hour and 15 minutes. Uh, so the guys see each other all the time. Uh, there are, again, uh, uh, 33 churches. It's a, in a lot of ways, it's a, a wonderful uh, place. We are uh, mid-Atlantic. If you don't know what that flavor is like, uh, it's not southern, it's not northern, it's just different. Um, most people in our area know they're non-Christians and do not mind telling you so. Uh, makes evangelism easy. It, it doesn't make uh, conversion easy. We can't control that, but it does make evangelism easy because your neighbors know they're non-Christians and they don't mind telling you they're not. It's just not a very... In my county, which is Anne Arundel County of about 800,000 people, that's another thing. In, our, in that hour and 15 minutes, it's about uh, 3 million people, between two and three million people. So it's really packed in. It's a very urban area. Um, so in my 800,000 uh, uh, county 
only about 15% of the people go to any kind of church, any kind of church. We could throw all the uh, Catholic, Jehovah Witness, all of them together. So we're glad to see any Christians to rub together. Um, you know, we, we don't have the privilege of saying, are you uh, a Reformed, um, coming from the Deep South experience? We just don't have enough people. Now, because of our largest employer is the, uh, the Spooks out at NSA, uh, so we get people from all over the country in our area. It's, it's, it's quite cosmopolitan in that way. Well, one of the things that we noticed, or I noticed in our presbytery, our presbytery is only a little more than a decade old from when it split off from Potomac in David Coffin's influence on us. Um, great guy, great influence. We still lose a lot of the material that he wrote for us. Um, but it did make us very litigious. In fact, in the last seven years, not counting the last year that we've been under the, the new structure and, and new vision that we're, that we're under, we were either every meeting resolving a case, a discipline case, or, because we weren't good at it, resolving a complaint or appeal about a decision that we had made. Every Presbytery meeting. We met four times a year. It was no fun. Um, I tend to gravitate towards uh, credentials. Uh, I like young um, uh, people coming into the ministry. And so one of the things that I notice is that we were battling our differences out through our young men. And as a result, they did not want to come into our presbytery. They knew they had to because that's how you get credentialed. But once credentialed, they did not want to come to presbytery. Uh, we found that our Presbytery meetings uh, were long, kind of like Ray said. We typically uh, start at 8 o'clock in the morning with about a, a, a quarter of the people there. We hit a peak, kind of kind of watch it, we hit a peak about uh, 10 o'clock because that's when uh, worship ended and program ended and we get to the, the important stuff, which is uh, the meeting. And, uh, and then after lunch, we, we went back in decline until we got to about a quarter of our membership. And it, and it seemed to be a place, and, and I'm going to know a, a fairly large church with a lot, a lot of elders, but I had no elders who wanted to go to that thing and had no interest in it. And so what I asked the Presbytery uh, one day, it was actually a year and a half ago at a Presbytery meeting, I asked, would you at least consider uh, uh, changing our Presbytery? Would you? Because it... it, it I like something that Ray had said before the meeting, and that is most of our presbyteries are not opposed to change. They just don't have a, there's a vacuum of leadership. And sometimes that vacuum gets filled by something not healthy in leadership, and sometimes by something can be very healthy. And, and so when I offered an opportunity for us to put a group of people together to kind of look at where we are and where we'd like to be, they were, it was, it was unanimous. Because everybody agreed about this. We might not agree about a lot of things, but we did agree about this. What we were doing was not something we wanted to continue to do, by and large. And it didn't matter how long you've been in the Presbytery or how short you've been in the Presbytery. We recognized what we were doing was no fun. It was not enjoyable. We weren't good at it, and we didn't want to continue it. Now, there were people who did. We have, like most Presbyteries, you have guys who uh, all they want to do is come and hug, and we had guys who wanted to come and fight. We had, we had both. And so when you talk about changing uh, Presbytery, you get a little resistance from both, both ends. Why can't we not just all come together and sing Kumbaya and then leave together? And then you had other guys who came and said, you know, I've come here to create purity, not peace. And we had plenty of purity attempts, but no peace. So anyway, we, we met and we we decided that before we talked about all the things we didn't like about our Presbytery, which is typically a great gripe session, we said, let's just talk about what we would like to become. Let's just spend time, we did. We met uh, for a year, and nine months of that year, and we met every other week. We just dreamt of what we wanted to be. We met by phone, by the way, just so you know, we didn't have to worry about lots of time. Uh, we just got on a conference call every every other week, and we only were on, we kept it to 45-minute conversations, so it wasn't even long. Again, you can do a lot of things with a teaching elder if you don't take up a lot of his time, 
and you don't make him travel. So we we just basically came by fall. Yeah. We just asked for a study committee initially. Some of them are called steering committees. We just said PCA loves the idea of study committees because we don't have to do anything when they're done. Anyway, we just we just asked for a study committee to come together and and. Uh, we let the moderator, because I was the one who made the motion. I didn't want to pick my own people. I just said, whoever the moderator, you pick whoever you want. We picked all the chairmen of all the committee. We had 11 committees. It took 120 elders to run our presbytery of 30 churches. At that time, it was 28 churches. So it took a lot of guys. Needless to say, we couldn't do anything. We could hardly get a... Um, what do you call it when you have to have a quorum? We couldn't hardly get a quorum to do anything. So most of the times our chairman were getting up at presbytery meetings and saying, I can't make a motion on behalf of my committee because we couldn't get them, so I'm making a personal motion. Almost all of our motions on the floor of presbytery were personal motions because they couldn't get together. Or they would get together right before presbytery started, vote on all the things they had decided when they were a small group but they didn't have a quorum, so they could just get up and say, our committee moves. So it was a terrible way to run a presbytery. But the bottom line wasn't the practice. The bottom line of the, of the practice was it led that there was a systemic problem that people were avoiding talking about. And then it was, we didn't want to be together. We didn't want to be together because of what we would become. And so we began to say, okay, for as long as we can, we won't talk about structure. And I love structure, you can tell. But it said, let's don't talk about structure. Let's just talk about what we want to become. What what are the ideals? So we we wrote a vision statement. You can see that. There's some handouts that we we have that both uh, Jason and I have about our presbytery so you can learn about them. I have my email in there. If you want, I can shoot you all those bylaws for the people who really love structure and how that works. Uh, One of the cool things that we ever did about our bylaws when we finally wrote our bylaws, and that was nine months into it, is that we said we're going to propose new bylaws that cannot be one amendment for a whole year. There cannot be one motion regarding our presbytery and the way we run it for a whole year. It was excellent. We also said you had to take this a thumbs up or thumbs down as a whole. You cannot debate this thing. Because what do Presbyterians want to do? We want to take a great idea, and we want to tell you how it won't work. And then the people who did it will just give up. Because we just want, we want something good to happen, but if we get enough opposition to it, good people will give up. And so we just, we just made just those two requests to the Presbytery. You, you don't amend this for a year, and you just vote it up or down. We're okay if you vote it down, but just vote it up or down. And they did. It was excellent. Um, again, unanimous, uh, both of those votes. Part of it is the guys really do like each other. They just didn't like the meetings we were having. The business meetings would go so late, and we would, we would end up with some of our biggest decisions decided with a quarter of the people in the room. And what, what happens when you do that? The next time you meet, you undo everything you did. Because the majority will say, oh, that was a terrible idea. And we come back and, and fix it. And so anyway, we, we said, okay, what's our vision? What do we want? We, again, the gospel wanted to dictate, well, we, we wanted to be a church planning presbytery. Obviously, if only 15% of the people in your area are going to church, you've got a lot of church planting opportunities. You could put churches literally right across from each other and, and still be reaching tons of people because there's so many people in Baltimore and Annapolis. You realize between my town, which is Annapolis, and Washington, D.C., there are four PCA churches. Three million people. That's, we got so much work to do. We can't be picky. We can't afford that. We just, this, is, this is so amazing. I come out of the South, you can tell by the voice. I come from Alabama. I grew up in a town that had several great churches. There aren't so many in a lot of parts of our country. We need to be planting churches. We need guys who are excited about that kind of work. And then when they begin to go do that work, we need to make sure that they are encouraged and strong because that will be the most discouraging thing they'll do to begin working with the broken. Not because broken people are terrible people to work with. It's just that it's so lonely, so hard to do that alone. Because we're not really sending a, hey, would you five goes out and plant a, a church, which usually a guy or maybe one, uh, two to go. It's tough work. And I'm not saying existing church. I went to an existing church. I'm in an existing church. It's 50 years old. 
But a lot of our folks, our young guys that I work with, are planting. We became a church planting. We had not planted a church. EP uh, uh, planted 12 churches in its 50 years. But there was a 15-year period where we had not planted a church, not one. It was just the last 15 years. <laughs> our presbytery hadn't planted a church. We split churches, but we hadn't planted a church by, by design in more than a decade. So in the last year since, since we've made this change, we've got five church plants in one year. A part of it is a lot of guys just want to say, do we really want to birth another church and have to have them join this presbytery? No. What, what young guy would you want to subject to a debate about his uh, creation, his recreational views? Just so somebody can get him, I can't vote for a guy who will go to a Baltimore Ravens game or allow his congregation to go. Come on. There are far more people in Baltimore who follow the Ravens than follow the PCA. We somehow we got a big view of ourselves. Anyway, you have kind of the way we went about it. It's a cool meeting. We only meet for four hours, 8 o'clock to 12. We end at 12. It takes a super majority to extend any of our meetings. We meet five times a year. Guys don't mind meeting frequently if it doesn't. We spend two of those four hours either in worship or, or talking about our ethos, getting people to understand how to, how to t- apply the gospel. Invocation, two of those hours. That leaves only two hours. Typically, our, our business is less than an hour and a half. We finished, we just had one in May. Our entire business for 33 churches uh, was done in one hour. Uh, and we ha- now remember, we had 11 committees. We dropped down to five. We created a, a Presbytery Judicial Commission so they can deal with it. So one of the things you'll learn about discipline, unless you do it often, and, and who wants to do that, you're not very good at it. See, we got a group that is good at it. We took a, a group of guys, one guy's actually on the SJC that kind of helps us out and figure all that out. Great thing. The rest of us can focus on mission. And then we can have a group who can really get good at, sadly, uh, if there are complaints. They've only had one, one case in last year. Remember, every Presbyterian meeting for the last seven years before that, we were having complaints. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.